Pick me up in verse 1 of Ruth chapter 3. Speaking of Ruth, then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, pay attention to these words, wash, therefore, and anoint yourself and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down and he will tell you what to do. She replied, all that you say, I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, Lord have mercy, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Tell your neighbor, don't, 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 don't do that. <laughs> then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, who are you? She answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, and that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. Now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning, if he will redeem you good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So he held it out, pay attention, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city. When she came home to her mother-in-law, she said, girl, how did it go? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. Amen. Story told of a guy who was hiking through woods one day. And on this hike, he finally came to the edge of a cliff. He was looking out over the edge of the cliff and was stunned by the beauty of the valley below. He was soaking it all in, utterly amazed. When all of a sudden, wouldn't you know it, tragically, the ground gave way underneath him. And he began to fall over the precipice of this cliff and was barreling towards a certain death. The last minute, he reached out and grabbed a hold of a branch, and that branch was holding him up. And here he is, holding on to this branch and looking down several hundred feet, where if something didn't happen quick, he was sure to die. He's exhausted. He's in a perilous situation. 
The only thing he could think to do was to lift up his voice to the heavens and says, is anybody out there? Wouldn't you know it, a voice from the heavens came responding, yes. Can you help me? Voice from the heavens came back, yes. But do you really believe I can help you? Man holding on to the branch says, yes, I believe you can help me. The voice from the heavens came shouting back to the man holding on to the branch, do you believe that I have the requisite resources you need to help you? The man responded, yes, I believe. Now please help me. The voice from the heavens came responding back, do you believe that, that I love you enough to help you? Frustrated, the man says, absolutely, yes. Now please help me. The voice from the heavens came shouting back, do you trust me? The man holding on to the branch says, absolutely. Now please help me. To which the voice from the heavens responded, let go of the branch. The man thought about it, and he said, is anybody else out there? All of us have been there, haven't we? We've all been there. There's been times in our lives in which we just, we just know that God's been calling us to, to take huge steps of faith, to, to trust him, and to... And to, and to just step out there and to let go of our proverbial branches. You walk with God long enough, you live in this life long enough, and there will be times in which God will say to you, stop playing it safe. Stop holding on to, to that in which brings you comfort and safety and security. You walk with Jesus long enough and he will interrupt your paradigms and will call you in some way, shape, or form to let go of life's proverbial branches. See, see what I'm getting at today is a simple word called faith. Faith to the believer is not some course we audit. See, I, 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 I teach in some seminaries and, and, and in every class I, I, get, I get some auditors you know what it's like to audit a class. Basically, to audit a class, you're saying, give me the information, but I don't want to be held responsible or accountable to anything else. So I just want the information. Tragically, too many Christians are auditing Jesus. I just want the information. But I don't want to be held accountable. I don't want to be all in. And what you need to understand is that God doesn't call you to audit him. He, he calls us to be all in. And a part of what that means is you need to understand that core curriculum to the Christian life is faith. I want you to look with me at Hebrews chapter 11, the writer of Hebrews, in, in talking about the core curriculum of the Christian life, which is faith, letting go of life's proverbial branches. He says, and without faith, it is impossible to please him. Speaking of God, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So whenever Brian decides, I want to hold on to my branches, I'm going to hold on to what brings me safety, I'm going to hold on to what brings me security, I'm going to hold on to the false gods of this life that bring me identity, God says, you're not pleasing me right now. God says, for anybody who is playing it safe, you're not pleasing me. You want to please me? Let go. 
Walk by faith. Live by faith. See, this is drastically important because when we come to Ruth chapter 3, as you're just taking notes, if you're taking it digitally, just, I just want you to write down the word faith. Or if you're old school like me and you're flipping pages, just write somewhere in the margins of your Bible, right by Ruth chapter 3, a simple word that describes our whole story. It is the word faith. Here's Naomi in a very real way. She says to Ruth, our situation is perilous. Remember, these are two immigrant widows who, who have gotten back. Actually, Ruth is the only uh, immigrant. Uh, Naomi is returning home, and, 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 and they both had husbands who have died. Their, their situation is perilous. They, they don't have any, any children or any male heirs. They were helpless and vulnerable. And finally, Ruth chapter 3, which is nearing the climax of the book of Ruth. Naomi says, look, um, Boaz is our kinsman redeemer. If we have any shot at greatness, we're going to have to make a decision to let go of the branch. So here's what I want you to do. Uh, I, I want you to wash, anoint, put on your cloak. Here's, here's what you need to understand. Put on your wedding dress. She's literally telling Ruth, put on your wedding dress. Hear it now. At night, climb into the bed with a man that you're not married to and propose marriage to him. Now, I'm, I'm going to fix that up in just a few minutes because <laughs> we don't look at Ruth 3 as a handbook for how to get a man, all right? So just some of y'all was already Vera Wang. You was going to call her up, get your wedding dress. No, 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 no. Hear the broader principle. Naomi's telling Ruth, if we have any shot at having a legacy, we got to let go of some branches. And we got to take a huge step of faith here. You got a choice today. Your choice, if you want greatness, you're going to have to choose between safety or faith. You're going to make a choice. Some of you all are sitting here, and God has just, just birthed some dreams in you. And you've been talking about it and thinking about it and, and processing it and praying it and analyzing it and researching it and Googling it and all this other stuff. And, and this dream you've been sitting on for five, seven, ten years or more. And the only reason why you haven't gotten to it is because you don't trust God enough to let go of the branch. Some of you are here today, and you've just been living in disobedience. God is as clear as clear could be. God does not have a speech impediment. He's been talking to you. He's been telling you, 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 need, to, you need to change the career. You, you need to go back to school. You, you maybe even need to quit your job. And, and maybe some of you go into full-time vocational ministry, and, 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 and you're kind of asking, well, how's this going to work? And, 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 and the finances and the money. And God's saying, do you trust me? See, faith is the gap between God's call and my capacity. Faith is the gap between God's call and my capacity. Here's a way to discern the call of God in your life. If you can do it without God, it ain't from God. God will always call you to do things that are beyond your ability to do him to, so that you can have to trust him in the process. 
And so the real estate between God's call and my capacity is called faith. There is no greatness in life without letting go of the branch. So what's your legacy going to be? Safety or greatness? You can stand in the presence of the Lord saying, I paid off my house in 15 years. And God's going to say, cool, but I actually called you to do some other stuff. Our text is all about faith. I want to take a deep dive into faith today. And I want to excavate through this story three fundamental principles that will show you what it means to walk by faith. Whenever we talk about faith, it is a three-legged stool. And these three pillars are, are fundamental to what faith looks like. The first thing I want to show you about faith is that whenever we talk about faith, there is always an object of faith. There is someone we are putting our trust in. Here in our text, verses 1 through 5, here is Naomi. She, she is telling Ruth to do some crazy things. Let me just stop right here and let me just make a disclaimer. Naomi is pretty much saying to Ruth, Ruth, I, I want you to put on this wedding garment. I want you to go down under the cover of night. Uh, again, let me just, just, just share it with you. Our text, Ruth chapter 3, is one of the most debated passages, one of the most problematic passages in all of the Bible. It is a very sexually charged passage. There's just no other way to say it. Put on a wedding dress, go down to the threshing floor under the cover of night, get into the bed with a person you're not married to, and propose marriage. Now, I'm going to go out on a limb and suggest that if we've got daughters we would not recommend this to them and how to get a man. And yet she does it. But at the same time, she's called a worthy woman. Here she is. She's being a little aggressive, a little forward. And yet she's called a worthy woman. Let's not let Boaz off the hook. In chapter 2, verse 1, Boaz is called a worthy man. Same word as Ruth. This word worthy means full of substance, full of character. And yet when we get to our text, the text says that he's merry with wine. Let me break this down for you in the Hebrew. At best, he's tipsy, if not flat out drunk. Here's this individual known as a man of character, but he's tipsy on alcohol. What do we do with this? Listen, I think it's an important point that Ruth chapter 3 shows us by implication, and that is, and I need you to understand this, and this is one of the most encouraging things to me about the Bible, the Bible is infallible, its characters are not. So we worship God who's perfect, but the characters who follow God in the scripture are not. And I love it that the authors of scripture do not try to sanitize the characters. So I just want you to understand, we look at this text 
and we see two very complicated people who are both called worthy individuals, full of character, but they're doing things that at best is questionable and maybe not filled with integrity. This encourages me. I look at David. Here's a man who writes the Psalms and commits adultery. Take his son Solomon. Here's a man who's called the wisest individual to have ever walked the face of the earth, but he does absolutely dumb things when it comes to women. Here's Peter. He preaches on the day of Pentecost. 3,000 people get saved. But right before that, he had denied our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you were to put a Facebook status on the biblical character's character, it would simply read, it's complicated. And guess what? That's not just true of them. It's true of us. We are all an amalgamation of genius and idiocy. We all make great decisions and dumb decisions. We all do wonderful things and horrible things. In fact, uh, that same Facebook status is true of us as well. It's complicated. Would you just turn to your neighbor in a Pentecostal moment and say, I'm complicated. I'm complicated. I'm complicated. I'm complicated. Now, let me just, let me just show you how that relates to me. When you come up in here, if you follow me long enough, you're going to see that I, I, I just do dumb stuff sometimes. And you'll just have to pray like the old saints pray, help him, Lord, help him, Lord, help him, Lord. But this is very important. You better not put your trust and worship in me. I will, not I might, I will disappoint you. So when you come in here, you better come in here with one agenda. I've come to see Jesus. I haven't come to see a human being. I haven't come to see a person. I've come to see Jesus. And so don't get disappointed when I'm not preaching one Sunday as if I'm the only person who can give a word. You just need to come and say, I'm just here to get a word, no matter who it may be, because I'm a flawed, cracked vessel. God forbid if something were to happen to me and, and I were to go down in disgrace and I got to leave, your mentality, abundant life should be next person up. Amen. Who's the next person God's called here? Because we don't worship vessels. So here's Naomi. She says something crazy to Ruth. Put on your wedding garment, propose marriage, and Ruth does it. In fact, verse 5 tells us an astounding thing that she says, and she replied, all that you say, I will do. When we talk about faith, it's a three-legged stool. The first thing that we need to talk about and understand when it comes to faith is that faith always has an object. There's always an object of faith. In fact, the difference between faith and foolishness is what you're putting your faith in. If your faith is in yourself, that's foolishness. But if it's in an eternal, timeless God, that's righteousness. So here's Naomi. And why does Ruth do it? Because Ruth and Naomi have been doing life together for years. Naomi has built up a track record of trustworthiness in Ruth's life. If this were just somebody off the street who would say this, Ruth would go, you're crazy, I'm not doing that. But she does it because she knows Naomi. She trusts Naomi. It was that trust that made all the difference. Faith begins with the object of faith, and it asks the question, is this person trustworthy? When my kids were little, I did something crazy. 
I took them to the community pool without Corey. So I was there with my three boys by myself. They're real little. Uh, my oldest two, Quentin and Miles, at that time could swim. Jaden, my youngest, couldn't. Uh, but Jaden would love jumping off the diving board. And the way he would do it, he'd put his little floaties on. He'd jump off the diving board, and it would, he'd go straight to the bottom. But because he had the floaties on, he'd pop back up. And you'd just see his head, you know, just peering over the, the, the pool there. And he just loved it. Well, one time, this one time I'm at the pool with my three kids, the, the little bitties, and I'm talking to somebody, and all I hear is Jaden saying, I'm going in, Dad, and I see this blur go past me. He gets on the diving board, and just the last minute it hits me, this joker's jumping in with no floaties on. Then my next thought was, how am I going to explain to my wife when I come home with two kids <laughs> and not three kids? Jaden jumps in, goes right to the bottom. I go down after him. I get him, pull him out, and he's laughing and coughing. <laughs> I said, Jaden, Jaden, what, what are you doing? That, that was dumb. He says, Dad, I told you I was going in. I knew you'd get me. Where did his confidence come from? He didn't say that to a stranger. He said that to his father, someone he had walked with and done life with, someone he trusted. And when that trust was built up in the object of his faith, he could take daring risks because he knew that the one he said, I'm going in, would come in to get him. Don't you understand God's resume? If you read the Bible, don't you understand who you're talking to? I mean, you're worried about, can God put food on my table when he fed the nation of Israel a million people every day, manna from heaven, Amen. and you're worried about if he's going to provide for you? You know who you're talking to? A God who opened up the Red Sea and his people walked through on dry ground. You know who you're talking to? A God who closed the mouths of lions. You know who you're talking to? You're talking to a God who raised a dead Jesus. I think he can handle your tuition. I think he can handle your career change. Will you let go of the branch? I'm telling you, I, I even see in my own life. I, I even see in my own life. So I, I don't even need to read the Bible to know I can trust God. I've just seen a track record of God's faithfulness in my own life. See, 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 I grew up in church where we used to have something called testimony services. Anybody ever grow up in a church where you had testimony services? Now, sometimes the saints would get out of control, and they'd say stuff that you know the Spirit didn't tell you to say that. But testimony services were so good because the old mothers of our church, they'd get to testifying about how they had to trust God for a bus pass and how they had to trust God for this and that. And there was something in your spirit that fundamentally said, if God could do it for them, he could do it for me as well. So I can testify real quick. I, I remember planting a church, Memphis, Tennessee, 26 people in the living room and having a meeting with my co-founders and we're sitting there, 26 people in the living room, but, but, but we're talking about our finances, and they're saying we're not going to be able to make payroll this week. And I'm going, okay, if i got to get a, you know, a part-time gig at Chili's, whatever, I, I took vows to my wife that I'd take care of her. We'll figure this out. And then I just felt like the Spirit just saying, don't you trust me? Why don't you pray about this? 
We just paused and we prayed. We called him Jehovah Jireh. I said, God, would, would you provide? Two days later, go to my mailbox. And this guy had heard me preach back in California. He says, your message really moved me. I just felt led to give you the first of three gifts. $25,000. Now, you can't tell me that was coincidence. You, you can't tell me nothing different than God writing a story of faithfulness in my life. Abundant life, you, you ALCFOGs, you should know this better than me. There's no reason this church should still be here. From thousands of people to a few hundred, everybody was doing our eulogy. But they didn't realize if God be for us, who could be against us? We're here today not because of the pastor. We're here today not because of leadership. We are here today because God actually said, you want to doubt me? I have taken care of millions of people throughout church history. I can take care of this body. And it ain't dead until I say it's dead. So last year, we finished in the black for the first time in years. It's the faithfulness of God. That's why you need to keep some kind of a record of God's faithfulness in your life. Because when you feel as if God is now calling you to take another daring risk for him, you need to be able to read stories of God's faithfulness, not just in Daniel's life, not just in Mary's life, not just in Moses' life, but stories of his faithfulness in your life. So you say, if he can do it back then, he can do it now. Let go of the branch. But secondly, not only is there the object of faith, but secondly, there's risk. Faith presupposes risk. And that's our problem, isn't it? As Americans, many of us even structure our finances and our families to avoid as much risk as possible. We, we save money. We get the insurance policies. And hear me, is there good stewardship in that? Absolutely. But faith does not exist without risk. Faith presupposes risk. It's risk to let go. It's risk to say, God, I've never seen you, but I'm going to trust you. There's a risk involved. This is exactly the point. Here is Naomi again. She's saying, put on a wedding dress, go under the cover of night, lay in this bed, propose marriage. The ancient reader would have gone crazy, crazy, crazy. And I think that's the point. If it doesn't have a little bit of crazy to it, if it doesn't have a little bit of girl, are you sure to it? It ain't faith. Where there is no risk, there is no faith. Some of you are waiting for a 100% foolproof plan. That ain't never going to happen. It's not going to happen. You're going to have to step out, let go of the branch, and trust him. I mean, if you read, if you read Hebrews 11, if you're new to the Bible, they call that the great hall of faith passage. It is stories of great heroes of faith, and in every story, there's an element of risk. God comes to Noah and says, Noah, I'm going to flood the earth. Noah didn't know what a flood was. Noah, I want you to build an ark. He didn't know what an ark was. 
And for hundreds of years, Noah builds this ark. Can you imagine Noah's driveway building this ark? And his neighbor's like, what in the world's going on? What are you doing, building an ark? Well, why are you building an ark? Well, the earth's going to get flooded. Well, how do you know the earth's going to get flooded? God told me. Risk. God comes to Moses. Moses, I actually need you to confront the most powerful man in the world, Pharaoh. And if you confront Pharaoh, Moses knew that could cost him his life. But Moses says, I'm all in. Risk. You take three Hebrew boys, Nebuchadnezzar, he he constructs this image. And he says, I want you to bow to this image. Three Hebrew boys says, no, we ain't bowing to no image. We worship God. Nebuchadnezzar then says, I'm going to give you another chance. Come into my office, and if you don't do it, I'm going to throw you into the fire. And then he says words that would seal his fate. And what God is there that could deliver you from my hands? I think think God says, hold on, Gabriel. Hold on, Michael. I'm going to come down and take care of this one myself. Because it put God's name on the line. And these three Hebrew boys says, we need not fear you. You can throw us in the furnace. Our God is able. But even if he doesn't deliver, we will not bow. Risk. Or take Mary. Take Mary. The angel shows up and says, Mary, I want you to get pregnant out of wedlock. Well, who's my baby's daddy? The Holy Spirit. In that day and age, for a woman to be found pregnant in Jewish culture with no husband meant stoning to death. But here's Mary between the ages of 12 to 14. She says, I'm all in. If this is from God, I trust you. Risk, risk, risk. Or take Martin Luther, father of the Protestant Reformation. He stands up to the Catholic Church, stands up to the Pope, points out their fallacies through the nailing of 95 theses on the door of the church. The Catholic Church doesn't take this laying down. His life is hanging in the balance. Look at what Martin Luther says. I daily expect the condemnation from the city of Rome. Therefore, I'm setting things in order and arranging everything so that if it comes, I am prepared and girded to go as Abraham, not knowing where, yet most sure of my way because God is everywhere. But I will, of course, leave a farewell letter. See to it that you have the courage to read the letter of a man who is condemned and and excommunicated. Farewell for now and pray for me. Here's a man who's saying, I'm letting go of the branch. I don't even fear my life. God's got me covered. I told you some, uh, some months ago, I hate roller coasters. And in the sovereignty of God, he blessed me with a wife who loves roller coasters. <laughs> which means, amen. Which means I'm the dude holding his wife's purse <laughs> while she's on the roller coaster. I hate amusement parks. <laughs> now, if you, were to, if you were to interview Corey and I after a day at an amusement park and you were to ask what was our experience like, you would get two polarizing responses. Me, I'd be a Debbie Downer. Wasted the Lord's money. <laughs> Hold my wife's purse all day long. My wife would say, best thing that ever happened, this amusement park is going to be in the new heavens and the new earth. Absolutely loved it. Had the time of my life. Let's do it again. 
See, what am I saying here? There's a direct correlation between our level of joy and satisfaction and our risk. Because my wife took risks and got on roller coasters. She maximized her time at the amusement park. But because I played it safe, there was no joy in that. I promise you, when you're checking out of this life and you're flatlining, you're not going to say, should have saved more money. You're not going to say, shouldn't have been as bold for Christ. You're not going to say, should have bought the bigger house. Should have bought that kind of car. But I promise you, if you have any regrets, you're going to be like, should have been more bold. Should have been more generous. Should have gone for it. Should have gone after it. Should have let gone of the branches. There is no faith without risk. Thirdly and finally, in order for it to be faith, there's got to be an object of faith to the believer. Our object of faith is God. We can trust him. Secondly, faith doesn't exist without risk. But thirdly, there must be obedience. So we don't have faith yet. Just because you've got a great object, God, and just because there exists risk, wonderful, but that's not what actualizes faith. What actually actualizes faith is I'm doing something. I'm being obedient. I'm stepping out there. You know, we get on Peter all the time in Matthew chapter 14. He steps out of the boat and he starts to sink in the water. Jesus says, come to me. He takes a few steps on the water. He starts to, uh, to, to sink. We get on Peter all the time. And I'm sure Peter's in heaven like, in, in heaven's like, why aren't you getting on the 11 guys who stayed in the boat? At least I got out of it. See, I think what God is saying to us, how long are you going to keep praying about this? How long are you going to keep spreadsheeting this? How long are you going to keep processing this? After these crazy instructions, Ruth says, all that you said to me, I will do. The story is told. It's a true story of a world-famous tightrope artist who stretched out a tightrope from one side of Niagara Falls to the other, stood on that tightrope and said to the large crowd below him, who here believes I can walk from one side of Niagara Falls to the other on this tightrope without falling off? The crowd responded, we believe, we believe. He then grabbed a wheelbarrow. He says, who here believes that I can wheel this wheelbarrow on this tightrope from one side of Niagara Falls to the other without falling off? The crowd responded, we believe, we believe. He then said, who here believes that I can put a person inside this wheelbarrow, wheel them from one side of Niagara Falls to the other without falling off? The crowd says, we believe, we believe. He then says, who's getting in? <laughs> Silence. See, I, I, I think that's most Christians. We read our Bibles we read of the faith of Moses. We say, we believe, we believe. We read of David. We believe, we believe. We read of Ruth. We believe, we believe. We read of Mary. We believe, we believe. And now God says, your turn. See, I'm not just on the History Channel. 
I'm not dead. I'm trying to do something new. And I want you in the hall of faith. You. When are you going to trust me enough to let go? Hop in the wheelbarrow. As Cormac and the team comes. Here's Boaz. And he's postured in our narrative as the kinsman redeemer. He's the one who can change Ruth and Naomi's life. In other words, and we'll see this next week, Boaz is a type of Christ. Love it. Our story ends, watch it. Naomi comes to Boaz, and at the very end, Boaz gives her six measures of wheat. If you notice, every time Ruth comes to Boaz, she always comes to him empty, but leaves full and satisfied. Boaz, who's the type of Christ, always leaves Ruth full and satisfied. Some of you are here today and you don't know Christ as Lord and Savior. And you're trying to find satisfaction in this life outside of your Redeemer Christ. Can I save you some frustration? That ain't going to happen. You might have moments of euphoria. You might enjoy moments of fleeting happiness. Long-term satisfaction, you won't find it. In fact, if you're here today and you don't know Christ, I'm going to go out on a limb. Maybe you even came to church because you looked at your life and all that you had and you concluded something's still missing. Christ is here today and he wants to give you six measures. He wants to satisfy you in ways that the world can never, ever satisfy. Money can't do it. Relationships can't do it. Letters behind your name can't do it. Where you work can't do it. Only Christ can. In just a few moments, I'm going to make a call for someone to come to know Christ as Lord and Savior. And I believe you're going to come today and you're going to give your life to him. But I also want to speak to Christians. There's, there's someone here today, and this, this, this was a right now word for you. It ain't a word you got to put on layaway. It is a word that confirms things that you've been sensing in your spirit. And here's what you've been sensing. I've been playing my life safe. And I know there's an area, or I know there's areas where God is calling me to let go. Pastor, I've been so fearful. I just haven't done that. And maybe today you want to come forward to have someone pray for you that God would give you the courage to trust him. For there is no greatness when we hold on to our branches. So Father God, in the name of Jesus, as we prepare to leave, I pray right now that no one would leave here without saying yes to you. That no one would leave here, Lord God, without, without coming to you, our Redeemer and receiving the fullness, the satisfaction that you offer. 
It is a satisfaction and fullness that goes beyond money and, 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 and letters behind our name and, and any of the other trinkets that this world offers. It is a satisfaction that reaches down into my soul. So Father, would you save someone today? But secondly, for those believers who are here and they know, they know that there's almost been like this burning sensation in their spirit as this word has gone forth. They know you're calling them to let go of a branch or some branches in their life. And there's fear, Lord God. Well, we know that you haven't given us a spirit of fear. So I pray, Lord God, that they would come and that they would find the strength and courage and sustenance they need to let go of their branch. Do it, Father God, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.